Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up chapter 10 here tonight, which then puts us in great shape for chapter 11. Chapter 11 is probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews. It's the chapter all about faith. I tell you, if you just study out chapter 11, you'll get a great overview of the Old Testament and also just to see how the Lord worked in these men and women and just understanding that faith. But we're building up to this, and Hebrews 10 finishes our last part. Now, the first Oh, six chapters of the book of Hebrews was about how Jesus is better than, if you've been with our lessons. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. And then when we got into chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, it talked about how Jesus is the new covenant, the new testament. The new plan here for God to work in our lives. He is the high priest that gives us salvation through his death. And we talked about last week how the blood of animals and goats, they can't save you. That whole tabernacle, temple system just covered your sin. Where Jesus comes and says, I will take care of your sin. Take a look here. Remind yourself of verses 11 and 12 of chapter 10. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy right there. You're standing, you're working, daily trying to take care of sins. Repeatedly offering the same sacrifices to take care of sins, but it never takes them away. Now look at Jesus, the New Testament, the New Covenant, verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Note the difference. One sacrifice forever, took a seat. He's done. Old Testament, constantly doing it. That's the New Covenant, the New Testament of Christ. So what we have here in verses 19 through 25 is a little bit of a review And it makes some final points on this. Look at verse 19. Therefore, remember if you see therefore, you're wondering why it's therefore. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience on our bodies washed with pure water. So therefore, since Jesus did all of this for us, what do we get out of this? First thing, verse 19, you have boldness to enter the holiest of holies. Remember back in Hebrews 4, it says that we can boldly, boldly come before the throne of God. Now that doesn't mean much to us because we're so used to this. Put yourself in the perspective of a Jewish person 2,000 years ago. This concept of that you could boldly approach God anytime you want, no way. Remember the Old Testament? One day of year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. One man goes into the Holy of Holies to approach God. God says, now the veil is torn. You have complete access to me anytime you want through Jesus Christ. Please remember that. I still run into this every now and then. People will come up to me and they'll have a situation. And I'll say, have you prayed about it? And I'll I'll hear this. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Well, I, I didn't really think it was that big a deal to pray about. I didn't want to bother God. I've heard people say that. He said, hey, I've ripped the veil in half for you to come in anytime you want. Take everything to the Lord. And you do it with boldness. That means absence of fear. You say, Lord, I can come into the holiest of holies through the blood of Jesus. Verse 19. And what does he do? We have a new and living way. Remember that term. New. Testament means covenant. That's why you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is the new deal that God is working with us, and the new deal is through Jesus Christ. You now have access to God anytime you want. Why? Because verse 21, he is our high priest. 
He's the one now is the mediator between us and God. And what does he want us to do now in verse 22? He wants your heart. Remember that. That's what the Lord wants is your heart. This has been an ongoing theme for about the last six months out here at church. He just wants your heart. So often we misunderstand God. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't want it. He doesn't care about how much you do this or how much you do that. He wants your heart. Because when he has your heart, everything else will fall into place. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's not about how many Bible verses you read. It's not about how many hours you spend in prayer. It's not about how many times you serve in the nursery. It's about your heart. Because when your heart is right with the Lord, you'll want to be in prayer. You'll want to be reading the Bible. You'll want to go back and serve wherever God calls you. Once he gets your heart, he has everything else. So don't force yourself into a deeper walk with Christ. Just give him your heart. And once that happens, everything else then comes together. What do we do when that happens? Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, put this all together. Since what we learned here in Hebrews 9 and 10, Jesus has given us access now through salvation to Christ. And we have a new covenant, a new testament. We have a high priest. We have boldness now to come before God. What are we supposed to do with all this information? Verse 22. Draw near. Draw near. Okay, a lot of times people come up to me over the years and they have questions like this. Am I really saved? How, how do I know that I'm really walking with the Lord? Is this what God wants to, me to do, etc.? Okay, we're going to give you a little bit of a litmus test here, if you remember that from high school chemistry. Here's just a couple things to ask yourself. And as you go through these points, this will show how deep your walk is with the Lord. Okay, you ready? First one. Draw near, verse 22. Do you desire to draw nearer to the Lord? Now, how do you draw nearer to the Lord? Through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, through ministry, through service. Is there a part of you that says, I want to go deeper in the Lord. I want to draw near to Him. That's your first question to ask. Okay, as you're hopefully going deeper at the Lord, look at the next one, verse 23. Hold fast. Do you stand your ground? Do you take a stand for the Lord? Or does the storms of life knock you back? Remember back to the parable that Jesus said in the Gospels. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. The same storm hit the wise man as it hit the foolish man. You're going to have storms in your life that come and get you. Maybe a health issue is going to get you. Maybe there's going to be worry and fear with the job situation. Maybe it's financial. I don't know what it is. But when the storms of life hit you, do you stand your ground? Do you hold fast in the Lord? If you're constantly tumbling and fumbling around, you're not holding fast. Do you hold fast? Next one, verse 24. Let us consider one another. Do you consider one another? Do you think of others? That word literally means fix your eyes on them. I don't mean that in some type of creepy way. It means that you're so concerned about the body of Christ that when somebody is in a church after a while, you're like, you know, I should contact them. Or I see somebody, I think they can go deeper in the Lord. I want to encourage them, uplift them. I want to disciple them. I want to help them. The Lord just lays people on your heart. and you know, I just want to be around them to help them and contact them. That's considering one another, fixing your eyes on them. What about the next one? Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some. Church attendance. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys came out in the dark. 
sing, what is it, some 17, 18 degrees out there? You know, I don't believe in works-based salvation, but if I did, you guys should be in, okay? Now, the truth is, it's difficult with church. Trust me, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have heard every excuse you can imagine about church. I have heard that we start church too late. If you had an earlier service, they'd be there. We have an 8.30 service. Now I hear people say you start church too early. If you had something later than 10 o'clock, I'd be there. Some people just don't want to go. Did you note in verse 24? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some people want to go to church. Some people don't. And you can't make them. I, I hate to think about how many years I have spent trying to make people want to go deeper or go to church. You can't. If they want to go, they go. You know how you decide if you're going to go to church on Sunday morning? You decide Saturday night when you go to bed. If you wake up Sunday morning, you say, ah, I'm trying to decide if I should go or not. Guess what? Your bed is warm. It's comfortable. You don't have to put makeup on or do your hair. You don't have to get out of your pajamas. You can just sit at home. It's so nice. If you decide Sunday morning, you're probably not going to come. If you decide Saturday night that this is important, and why is it important? Because it's an avenue for the Lord to work. It's an avenue to have a time of corporate worship. It's an avenue to have a time of teaching. It's an avenue to have a time of prayer and ministry, etc. The truth is this. A lot of the people I know that don't come to church regularly, they're probably not in the Word regularly. So if they miss a couple Sundays in a row or two, three, man, that means they probably haven't been in God's Word in weeks. That's, I, I feel bad for them. So one of the litmus tests is, do you want to be involved in the body of Christ? Now, the truth is, verse 25 Sometimes we don't want to be involved in the body of Christ. Do you realize it's easier to not be involved in the body of Christ? The biggest headaches I have are from Christians. The biggest problems I deal with are from other believers. If we could all just go up on a mountaintop and find a cave and just wait for the return of Jesus. The problem is God has designed us as a corporate group. That's what he wants us to do. That's how he wants us to work together. He called us sheep. Sheep are not an individual animal. They work as a group. And that's the way he wants us to work. Every now and then when I run into that believer that wants to fly solo, I'll just have church at home by myself. God bless you. That's not biblical. Oh, you know what? Every time I go to church, I just run into problems. Hey, amen. I do too. Every time I go to church, I run into problems. Christians are just so hypocritical. I agree 100%. Do you realize those people that go to church? Yes, they need Jesus. That's why they come. There's so many reasons not to go, but the ultimate reason to go is this. The Lord says, that's how I want to use it. And I appreciate you guys coming out on Wednesdays. That's why I dressed up for you tonight, because I love you. I absolutely love you. So not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Invite people, encourage people, but ultimately realize it's between them and their alarm clock, whether they want to come or not. Exhorting one another. Here's our last point. Encouraging one another. Do you encourage other believers? Are you involved in their lives? Listen, I have moments of where I get so beat down. Sometimes I just want to say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to be done encouraging people. Because every time I encourage them, I get involved in their lives and I end up getting hurt. Nope, I'm not doing that anymore. You can't. That's part of the body of Christ is coming together to say, you know what? We all have flaws. We all have problems and we're all working together. So let's just do our litmus test one more time. How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Here are, very simple, five things. Are you drawing near to Him? 
Prayer, worship, Bible study, ministry. Are you drawing near? Number two, are you holding fast in difficult times? Number three, are you considering others? Thinking of them. How can I love them? How can I minister to them? How can I serve them? Are you part of an active body of believers? And lastly, are you encouraging one another? Verse 25, as you keep your eyes focused on Christ. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There is a joy in being there with other believers. Listen, you know all the little sayings. There's no perfect church. We don't claim perfection out here in any way whatsoever. We're a group of sinners that get together because we love Jesus and we just want to encourage one another to go deeper in Him. So there is the nice part of the lesson. Verse 26 on gets a little harder, so don't read that yet. Any quick questions, comments, or anything here? The first part of what we talked about tonight. Okay. Alrighty. Now, what's the flip side of moving forward? Moving back. Look at verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which would devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's part of the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible. If you were doing topical messages, you would never teach on verses 26 through 31. No one wants to hear that. But we have to give both sides of this. Okay, verses 19 through 25 are encouraging and uplifting. Hey, Jesus has saved you. Go deeper now. Hold fast. Help each other. Encourage each other. Be part of the body of Christ. You'll be blessed. Now, the flip side is verse 26. I don't want to. I don't want to move forward. I don't want to have progress. Verse 26, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Those are pretty strong words. Now, if you weren't with us when we went through Hebrews chapter 6, this is a very similar topic here. See, 1 John chapter 1 tells us this. You want to tell if somebody's real or not in the faith? Time will reveal that. Remember, Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. You can't tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. When we taught on that here in Matthew, we actually put up a picture of the wheat and the tares. And you can't tell them apart until they start producing seeds. Do they produce fruit? Listen, Sunday mornings, churches all over are full of people. Who's saved, who's not? Sometimes you can't tell. And it's not our job to try to separate it out. It's not. If they are saved, time will reveal that as they move forward in their walk with the Lord. Guess what? If they're not, they start to fall away. 1 John chapter 1 makes it clear. If they start with you and finish with you, they were part of the body of Christ. If they start with you and don't finish with you, obviously they weren't part of the body of Christ. What we're talking about specifically in Hebrews 10 are people who started out, but then in verse 26, they willfully decide, I don't want this they know the truth they don't want to live the truth they know what god's trying to do and they don't want to live it how much of our time and energy is put into people who just don't want to grow or go deeper in the lord 
Here they are, willfully saying, we don't want it. What's the result of that? Verse 27. Look at this verse. This is powerful. A certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. God knows the truth. That will be revealed. Then he uses the example of Moses. He says, listen, you guys know the punishment of Moses. How much more, in verse 29, if you reject Jesus Christ? Verse 29, look at this. Counted the blood of the covenant by which was, he was sanctified a common thing. You hear me say this a lot. Never let Jesus become normal to you or common to you. That word common literally means unholy. It literally means ordinary. See, you sometimes got to stop and ask yourself, has my walk with Christ become ordinary? This is what I do. I go to church on Sundays. I read my devotion every day. I pray I do this. Listen, never let your walk with Christ become ordinary. Do you realize how many ordinary walks with Christ there are out there? Man, we want something different. You ever notice the parable of the sower and the seed? Four different groups of people. You guys are familiar with this. One group totally rejects the Lord. So right there out, 25%. Another group supposedly accepts the Lord but they are then in time weeded out because they're choked out. There's another group that has no root, so they're weeded out, which leads only 25% that actually understand who Christ is. 25%. And of that 25%, only one-third of them, according to the Bible, really go deeper. That means really only about 8% really have this committed, on-fire walk with Christ. You've got to decide what group you want to be in. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize the common path is a lot easier. There's a lot more people, a lot more friends. The going deeper path, man, that gets tough, guys. It gets tough because you feel like the oddball. You feel like the oddball even around other believers. Because what happens is you're looking for something deeper. You're looking for something more. You realize there's so much more to life. Than, than all of this. And then you get caught up in these things of the world and you realize, that's just common. I don't want that anymore. I don't want the ordinary. And so therefore, I want to go deeper. But to go deeper, guess what? There's not a lot of people that want to go deeper. It's not going to be a full church. It's not going to be a full study. It's not. Because that idea of going deeper, that's tough. But you have to decide personally, you here tonight, what do you want? Do you want the common ordinary or do you want more? See, look at verse 31. It's a fearful thing. Fall into the hands of the living God. Don't be afraid when it comes to sharing Christ with people. Don't be afraid to speak truth. Truth will also sometimes bring about fear. Now think about this. 1 Timothy makes it clear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. But guess what the book of Jude says? Some are saved by fear. I'm one of those people. I remember distinctly in that white house by the bank in Hamler, sitting there 23 years ago, and Jim Crager gave an altar call, and he talked about the realities of hell. And I heard about the realities of hell, and I said, I don't want to go to hell. It scares me. I'm afraid of that. And so, therefore, the answer is what? Accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen. I will do that. I was not saved by going through a difficult time in life and Jesus was the only answer. I was not saved by being depressed and discouraged and God showed me love. I learned all those things afterwards. But what led me to the cross was the fear of hell. 
And that's what Jude was talking about. Guess what? This is what Hebrews is talking about right here. We need to present the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is God loves you. The truth of the gospel is God has an eternal home for you waiting in heaven for those that accept Christ. But also the truth of the gospel is verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the reality here of what we also need to present. And as you go out and share Christ with people, start praying immediately. Lord, who am I talking to? Am I talking to the broken soul that needs to know love? Am I talking to the prideful person that needs to be humbled? Am I talking to the person that has no fear of eternity, so I need to show them the fear of hell? The Holy Spirit will lead you. Ultimately, you're going to present the fact that they're a sinner that needs Jesus Christ. But the path you go to present that information can be quite different for individuals. And I'm willing to bet for some of you here tonight, the way you came to know Christ may have been through love, may have been through fear. But don't be afraid to mention the truth. The truth of you know truth. You are rejecting that truth. And the rejection of that truth leads you to hell. That's what we're finding here in verses 26 through 31. That's the reality of sometimes what we need to present. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about that before we move on? And make sure you understand that. Don't go around yelling at people that are going to hell. That's not going to work out real well, okay? But the reality is when you start having a conversation with somebody, that truth may pop up sometime. The reality of death, the reality of hell, the reality of judgment. We have to deal with that. Brian. Yeah, verse 31 is definitely not a refrigerator verse for the average Christian. It is not a refrigerator verse. It's something that's essential because you have to realize there is an eternity. There is heaven and hell. There's only black or white, A or B. There's only two things. There's no third option. There's no gray areas of God. That's not how we operate. Excellent. You know, the reason I'm dressed up today is I did a funeral this afternoon. And obviously with what I do as a pastor, I do lots of funerals. Lots of funerals. I think I figured up I did like five funerals here in the last two months. I'm around death all the time. And I'm not only around death after it happens, I'm around death before it happens. And so what happens is when I'm doing funerals, I'm just going to be, be honest with you. You know, when I started you know, doing the church stuff about 20 years ago, when I started doing funerals, what went through my mind was this. Okay, the family's coming, they're hurting, and I want to give them joy, and I, and I want them to walk out, you know, feeling blessed, and God loves them, etc. And then I started realizing, no, when people are coming to a funeral, this is the three things I try to do when I do a funeral. I try to honor the memory of the person that passed, I try to give them the comfort of the Lord, and the last thing, the most importantly thing, is I want to make sure they walk out of this building knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Because that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters. What good are we doing? What good are we doing when we face death, but we don't talk about the reality of heaven and hell? So I go to John 11 when I do a funeral, and I read the verses about where Lazarus died. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then Jesus says, do you believe this? So I always stop at that point. I said, Jesus just asked a very poignant question. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Because people need to know that truth. There's nothing wrong with presenting God's love to people. But the gospel message is God loved you enough that Jesus had to die for your sins. Sin has to be presented. The reality of heaven and hell have to be presented. And this reality of if I choose to reject this sacrifice, I am going to hell. Listen, as believers, we're not trying to make friends. We're trying to pull people out of the fires of hell. Now, as you pull them out, I hope they like you. But ultimately, what it comes down to is God-pleaser versus man-pleaser. 
That's what you got to decide on. Okay, we just got kind of heavy here. Marv. You know, while back I talked about my son and mom and Thanks for opening that can of worms, Marv. Um, what Marv wants to know about is can you lose your salvation? We'll talk about that at the Thursday service. Um, let me answer your question this way. I had a, had a pastor friend that I, I respected a lot. And what happened was this one time, him and I were talking about losing your salvation versus once saved, always saved. And he said this. He goes, if somebody comes into my office and they believe they can never lose their salvation, he goes, I show them a lot of passages that says, hey, be aware. He goes, if they believe that they can lose their salvation, I try to show them passages on assurance. So how's that for riding the fence? What I think it comes down to is this, when it comes to your walk with Christ, is this. I think the key is what you're going to find is it's going to be found in John 15, where it says that you need to abide in the Lord. Abide means to plant your tent right there. The abide means I'm going to stay in the Lord. So if you want to know if you're eternally secure in the Lord, are you abiding in Christ? Then you are. Then amen. Yes, you are. If you have chosen not to abide in Christ, then you're not eternally secure because you're not choosing to have a relationship with Jesus. So what happens is we take a passage like verse 26 and we say, okay, okay, so this guy claimed Jesus at 12 and then at age 22 he kind of fell away and now he's in his 40s and there's no fruit in any way whatsoever. So did he lose his salvation? Well, you have to come back and say, was he ever saved to start with also? You have to come back and say, did he ever plant himself in Christ and abide in him? Because the Bible makes it clear in 1 John chapter 1 that you have to watch the entire race. You have to watch the entire race. So if we all start out at the beginning of a marathon and we all start at that starting line, it doesn't mean anything. It's who finishes the marathon. So I've seen lots of people start the race and time revealed that they were either choked out They were either uh, no root. They either were not pure in their heart. Take a look at Judas. He spent three years with Jesus. So I'm not dodging Marv's question. What I'm saying, though, is this. Time is what reveals the person's heart. So if I run into somebody who at one time talks about how great they were with Jesus and on fire they were and they loved him, and now their life is a complete, utter mess and there's no fruit in any way whatsoever, the thing I'm going to say to them is, what are you doing right now? I don't care what you did 20 years ago. What are you doing right now as a born-again believer if that's what you claim? Because if you claim to know Christ, you will abide in him. Just like it says in John 15 and 1 John 1, you will finish the race. See these people here in verse 26? They are willfully sinning. Okay, willfully sinning. You know what it says in 1 John? It says once you get saved, you cannot continue in sin. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you can't continue down that path. So if I see somebody who is willfully going down a path of sin with no repentance, no conviction, then I wonder if they even knew the Lord to start with to begin with. So lots of verses there. 1 John 1, 19. Um, excuse me, 1 John 2, 19. John chapter 15. Take also a look at John chap, 1 John chapter 3 about how if you're born again, you cannot continue in sin. Put all those together, and I think what you see is a born-again believer keeps moving forward. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The prodigal son lived a life of sin. He got away from his walk with the Lord. But guess what? The prodigal came back. The prodigal came back. Why? Because he had a relationship with his father and the prodigal came back. 
There's going to be times that you're going to see people and they don't look very deep in the Lord. I look at David who spent a year in an unrepentant state after his sin with Bathsheba. But guess what? He came back. Because he was convicted by the Holy Spirit through Nathan the prophet, and he came back. There's been seasons of my life, if you would look at me and know me deeply and personally, where there wasn't a lot of fruit. Well, guess what? I came back because I am a child of God, and I am abiding in him, and I do not want to sin willfully. I want to keep moving forward. So, tough conversation there, and I encourage you to take a look at those passages. Pray over those on their own. 1 John 2, 19, John 15, and also 1 John chapter 3. Pray through those, look through those. If you've got any other questions, come talk to me, because I don't want anybody to get confused about this in any way whatsoever. Anybody else got anything here before you move on? Okay. With that being said, let's finish this up. How do we stay focused? Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. See, what are we talking about? Moving forward. Not casting away your salvation. Verse 36, you need endurance. See, how do you want to know if someone's saved? Are they moving forward? Time will reveal that. Time will tell that. If you see no fruit, if you see no evidence of the Lord, you've got to stop and say, wait a second. Remember the example we've been using on Sunday mornings about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees were not atheists. They believed in God, but they rejected Jesus. There's a lot of times I see people that will say the right things, but you go look at them, there's no fruit. There's none. We had four trees last, oh, it's probably been a few years ago. Don't, don't ask me why, and I'm not trying to pick on Walmart. Don't. But we bought fruit trees at Walmart. They were cheap. Put them in my car, got home, planted them. And every year one just died. So we're down to one left. I don't even know if it's a pear or an apple. I've so lost track. So there's one left. Those four trees have never produced any fruit in any way whatsoever. I understand the whole cross-pollination. I get it. I just got one stick in my backyard that will produce a few leaves every year. Now, someone can come up to me and say, is that a fruit tree? Is it? See, I don't know. It's never produced fruit. It's supposed to be. Time will tell whether it's going to produce any fruit. But right now, there's no evidence of it. So listen, if someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I want to ask you something. Um, I got a cousin, and my cousin said this about the Lord, and my cousin said this, but then my cousin went and did this, this, and this. Is my cousin saved? I don't know. I'm not supposed to separate wheat from tares. Well, then how am I supposed to know if my cousin's saved? Time will tell. Do you see the evidence of these things that we talked about earlier? Do they want to draw near to the Lord? Are they holding fast? Are they considering others? Are they going to church? Are they encouraging one another? Then there's evidence of fruit. If there's none of those things happening, you have to step back and say, listen, are you really, really walking with the Lord? Really walking? Remember, we're running out of time. I was going to take you there. I'll just quote it to you real quick. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said... He goes, test yourself, examine yourself to see if you're walking with the Lord. He goes, if you don't see any fruit, he goes, maybe you're not. That's a good question for us to stop and ask ourselves. Because look at verse 35 again. I'm not going to cast away my confidence. Verse 36, I'm going to have endurance. And then look at verse 39. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Right there. You want to know if you're saved? Are you drawing back to destruction? Are you believing to the saving of the soul? If you're drawing back to destruction and you're willfully sinning and you're going backwards, 
Do you really know Christ? Or are you moving forward to the saving of the soul? There is no such thing as spiritually standing still. It's not possible. You're either moving forward in Christ or you're going backwards. The goal here tonight is for us to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward and say, Lord, this is not a legalism. This is not a works-based salvation. This is, I love you. You have done so much for me. I want to move forward in you with a true heart, a sure heart, and say, I do not want the ordinary common walk with you. I want something more. So you have to decide what you want with that. And then as you say, I want more, guess what? God will open up doors that you'll never see. Last thing I'll say is just be prepared for this. When you want to go deeper, you're going to find out there's not a lot of people that want to go deeper. So you have to decide, Jesus, this is you and me. Because I want to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. It's a tough, tough thing. But remember, this is why we go forward. This is why we move forward in endurance. Any final questions, comments here about anything? Marcus. Marcus brought up a good point about a bullseye on your back when you decide to make that. You know, anytime we do a baptism service out here, one of the things we always say publicly in front of those getting baptized is they just put a bullseye on their back. Listen, non-believers are not a threat to the enemy. They're not. Lukewarm, carnal, backslidden Christians are not much of a threat to the enemy. He doesn't have to waste time on them. A threat to the enemy is an on-fire believer that wants to see the world change for Jesus Christ. That's who the enemy is going to attack. That's who he is. That's why how many times tonight did we see words like endurance, hold fast, move forward. Because you are going to get hit and pushed back. You've got to say, Lord, through you I keep moving forward in my marriage, in my life, in my walk. Oh, man, it is so easy to stumble backwards. So easy to stumble. I tell you, though, the blessings that come out of it, being right with the Lord... That that is priceless. I I remember when I was being discipled 20 years ago in Rich. And Rich talked about how when you have peace with God, that's priceless. You can lay your head on your pillow at night knowing you're right with the Lord. That's priceless. I'm going through Proverbs for devotions, and I was trying to find it real quick, and I can't run out of time. But basically, there's all these great Proverbs that says, you know, better to live in a house of poverty, but be right with the Lord, than to have riches and not be. Man, I, I go home and I'm blessed. I got a wife who loves the Lord. I got a household that loves the Lord. I get to come to a church that loves the Lord. Man, what, what a blessing that is. What a blessing. Anybody else have any final things? Ryan. Uh, well, you said about not knowing whether someone's saved or not whether by looking at their works or their fruits. Mm-hmm. I think it's only in the book of Revelation era when you can look at somebody and know for sure whether they're saved or not, whether they have the mark of Yeah. You know, there's a great passage in Matthew that says you'll know them by their fruits. And once again, it goes back to my fruit tree analogy. You know, if you give it enough time, you can tell if the tree has fruit or not. But Ryan's right. In the book of Revelation, when the Antichrist comes into the world scene, the whole saved, not saved is pretty black and white. It's very black and white. In fact, the book of Revelation says if you take a stand for Christ, at the end you're going to be beheaded. You're going to, if you choose to reject the Lord, you take the mark of the beast. It is very black and white here towards the end. Very black and white. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Hey, would you guys stand with me while we pray, if you wouldn't mind? Lord, as we come to you now, we do not want the ordinary, common walk. We want to be a God-pleaser in all we say and do. 
And Lord, those things that we study tonight, we do. We do want to hold fast. We do want to draw near. We do want to encourage one another, consider one another. We want to do those things as a body of Christ. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. And we thank you for your love, grace, and mercy with us. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.